What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith from ESPN. This is former world champion boxer Showtime Sean Porter. Hey, this is Bobby Gibson. I'm Josh Creed. Hi, this is Joe Tate, voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And you're listening to Sports Power Talk. You listen to Sports Power Talk. And keep listening, or it'll be wham with the right hand. Ladies and gentlemen, live from the University of Akron, WZIP Sports presents the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. No question, with all due respect. This is Sports Power Talk. With the latest in sports news. Your Akron Zips are the 2022 MAC champions. The Zips have defeated the Kent State Electric Chicken. In-depth analysis. Astrology for women is equal to what Joe Rogan is for men. <laughs> have you ever tried DMT? <laughs> and of course, the hottest takes. He's just bad. Let me tear your labrum and you can go on the... You know what? (laughs) It's only game. Why you have to be mad? Just the same old Browns! You know, bro. Hold bitch. I think that was textbook top cheese. Cleveland! This is for you! From the best that Ohio sports has to offer... To the best of the Akron Zips. Now, it's time for SPT. Ladies and gentlemen from Northeast Ohio and beyond, this is the best sports talk show there is, was, and ever will be. This is Sports Power Talk live from the University of Akron. I will be the host of your show today. My name is Jake Murrin. Joining me today are two great analysts. First, he's coined as the most entertaining member of WZIP Sports. He constantly hops around teams in every league, leaving widows behind. He is Marcus Anderson. By the way, I'm back to be a Giants fan. Oh, Let's back go, on the man. Giants now. Oh, <laughs> back on the Giants. And second, he is a rookie. Unfortunately, he's a fan of that no good team that wears black and yellow. But fortunately, he is making his first SPT appearance. He is Casey Rush. Hey, the Steelers are going to the Super Bowl. They just need to buy tickets. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> stop dreaming, Casey. <laughs> I agree with Marcus. Stop stop dreaming. Hey, they just need to buy tickets. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> While we made an audible on last week's show to talk baseball in the magical moment of Oscar Gonzalez's walk-off in Game 3 of the ALDS, we'll follow the normal organization of the show this time around. What that means is that we'll break down recent NFL news with the Christian McCaffrey trade in our last segment around 1230. We'll also talk Browns, Ravens, and do NFL pickums to lead you right into kickoff. Before that, we'll discuss week one of the NBA season. We'll recap the first two games for the Cavs and also talk about who's hot and who's not to start the year. Hot Mike, where we answer all your questions from our Twitter page at WZIP Sports, will also be held In that half an hour. In half an hour, though, you'll hear us break down game five of the ALDS. Unfortunately, the Guardian season has come to an end, and we'll talk about some of the managerial controversy surrounding that game. We'll also get into playoff baseball going on right now in the championship series. Right now, though, of course, it's time to discuss week eight of college football winners and losers to end the segment, but we have to talk about our miserable football team first. Yes, I'm referencing our very own Akron Zips as they lost for the fourth time in a row to Kent State yesterday, 33-27. to The Zips had more first downs, more yards, and recorded 11 more minutes 
of possession time than Kent State and still managed to lose by committing costly turnovers and terrible time management to end the game. Before we talk about some of the performances in this Zips-Kent State game, what did you guys think of the 33-27 to loss? I mean, it was a good performance on the offensive side. I mean, they ran the ball a little bit more. I actually used a two-headed monster with Cam Price and Cam Riley. Also, DJ Irons, as always, had not not like close to the efficient day, but close to the efficient day, really. I mean, even though those two picks really ruined his stat line, uh, he threw for over like a two, a two, two, three, four. 230 passing yards pretty much and also threw for a touchdown, a rushing touchdown. The offensive side looked good. Uh, I'm I'm not sure. It just I guess in this case it's sort of like the players to blame right here or cuz Moorhead is really fighting his butt off to get this team back on the road trying to turn this front program around. So it's just the defense was just horrible allowing too many big plays, uh, easy touchdowns and just overall Decent performance. Still, unfortunately, another loss. Yeah, I kind of disagree with you on some of those points. And we'll get to the coaching and time management of this game here shortly. But since you mentioned his name, let's talk about DJ Irons. On that first drive, he threw an 80-yard touchdown pass, which was incredible. And then on the second drive, he threw a pick in the end zone after what seemed to be a successful drive to that point. You mentioned his stat line. He went 32 for 43, threw for 383 yards, actually had a touchdown pass. Those two interceptions definitely hinder that stat line. And on the ground, 37 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Casey, what did you think of DJ Irons yesterday? Well, here's the thing with DJ Irons this whole season. He's had high highs and low lows. As you mentioned, he did throw for nearly 400 yards. He had that 80-yard touchdown to Alex Adams in the first quarter in the two rushing touchdowns. However, he did throw two interceptions. But the thing is, the offensive line is not blocking for him. He took seven sacks during this game. Seven sacks. You can't take that many sacks in one game and expect to win. And those two interceptions, one of them did lead to a Kent State touchdown. There, our defense just couldn't. Our defense just can't stop anything for the fun of it. Like Marquez Cooper on the other side, Kent State, he was running all over the Akron defense. Like we can't, we can't win games if we keep on giving up big play after big play. Yeah, he just yeah. can't do it. He was really getting wide open, like he was Casper out there. Like they didn't know he was out there on the field and just get easy opportunities. Yeah, before we talk about the defense, and there were certainly some woes on defense yesterday. Let's just talk about the overall offense. Talking about the receivers, running back, and offensive line. You mentioned it, Casey. Our offensive line remains our biggest weakness as they gave up seven sacks yesterday afternoon. I was really impressed by Alex Adams, though. He had that breakout game. He had that catch for 80 yards for that touchdown on the first drive. But in the game itself, he had nine catches for 199 yards and one touchdown. Shockey Jacques-Louis, my favorite player on this team, solid as always, 10 catches for 88 yards. And the running game, Marcus, you were kind of complimentary of the running game, but to me, it, it still doesn't exist. We ran the ball 43 times from three different runners, and the Zips had 109 yards on the ground. But to me, I would have liked to see more yards on the ground with that many carries. What did you guys think of the overall offense, our complimentary game of both running backs and uh, wide receivers through the air? Listen. Our offensive line really needs to create more holes if we're going to have a good rushing attack. 
the thing is, we can't block anyone on the defense, even if they were cardboard cutouts. We just can't. We just don't know how to block. And one of my friends mentioned that the offensive line coach is just as frustrated because our O-line is basically freshmen and freshmen and sophomores. And they're a very young team, but a performance like this is just inexcusable. We just need to continue to block. And we need to tackle, especially on defense. Like, it's it's just so difficult. And they're proven like it's like a Herculean task when it really isn't. Yeah, I agree with you. It seems like the fundamentals of this team are just not there. We play hard to start games now, which didn't used to be a thing. Against Central mm-hmm. Michigan, we came out strong. Against Kent State yesterday, we came out strong. Right. And that's nice to see. But then in the fourth quarter, we're not playing up to par. Yeah, and then we collapse, mm-hmm. and then this is the cycle. That's how I expect for next week. We go off to an amazing start. We collapse around the second and third quarter. We have to end up coming back. And then we goof up on one play and it leads to a game winning. At least the only difference this year is that we actually keep the games close. Like I know. we actually <laughs> putting teams on the ropes. I mean, we kept teams close these last three years. We just haven't been able to finish. That's the problem with Akron. They just don't know how to finish. So I'm getting kind of a frustrated vibe from both of you and even myself about this Akron Zips football team. Right. As you as you mentioned, uh, Marcus, we did we are keeping games close this season. And I asked this question last week to my guests and said, Hey, what's our percent chance of winning this game against Kent State? And, you know, jokes were made. I said ten percent. I believe Logan said zero. Pat maybe said negative ten thousand percent, whatever it was. But we were all counting the zips out and to see a final score of thirty three to twenty seven what, do you, what does that mean to you guys? Are we making strides in the right direction, or are you not looking at that? Are you more so, so frustrated that this team can win these games, but they simply aren't pulling it out? Listen, it's a game of four quarters, and we usually do good for, like, three of those quarters. It's that one quarter that normally kills us. And in that quarter, last yesterday, is the second quarter. We gave up 21 points, and we just couldn't we just couldn't keep up after that. It's just... It's abysmal right now. I mean, I'll say they're ready to compete, but I'm not sure if they're ready to contend yet, pretty much. Right. I mean, I honestly, truly, and you might hate me for this, I honestly thought they have no chance against it. I mean, this was the same team that had the Georgia Bulldogs on the ropes, pretty much. So that's why. And also, I've been very impressed by their defense. I mean, I remember last year they was top five in, in takeaways last year. And it's still that same kind of defense with those two picks. And it's still one of the most uh, dynamic defenses in the country against the Kansas State Golden Flashes. Yeah, it's a tough balance because to me, I am frustrated, but I'm also seeing that some progress is being made. But at the same time, some of the weaknesses that we've had all year are still weaknesses. And that is our offensive line. That is our ability to tackle. That is our run defense, especially. Mm -hmm. Yesterday against the the Kent State Golden Flashes, we gave up 213 yards on the air or in the air, but our run game was weak as well. We gave up 242 rushing yards in the game, including a 58-yard touchdown run in the second quarter by Brian Bradford. And in that second quarter, Casey, you mentioned it, we gave up 21 points, which was the biggest quarter for Kent State. But I did like our defense in the second half because they put us in a position to win the game by only giving up 12 points in the third and fourth quarters. 
And let's talk about the terrible time management in the fourth quarter when we were down 33-24 to with four minutes left. Because to me, this is ultimately what decided the game. And to me, this is just completely unacceptable. Our team was literally standing around watching the clock run when we were down by two scores in the fourth quarter. We ran a QB draw on first and goal from the five-yard line with no timeouts. We had a delay of game on third and goal and had no timeouts after the drive. And on that third and goal play, DJ Irons was sacked again with no timeouts. And the drive ended with a field goal with 39 seconds left on the clock. It forced us into an onside kick situation that we didn't come anywhere close to recovering this drive. What do you guys have to say about it? The sad thing is, I was at that stadium for that game, and in the fourth quarter, actually, I saw that we had two timeouts with like two minutes left, yet we're not going out of bounds. We're not stopping the clock. Dude, you see the clock running down? You got two timeouts. Use them. Yeah. DJ Irons is just just now learning how to really play quarterback, honestly. I mean, he's got the talent. He's got the skills. He just doesn't have the discipline yet and the composure to carry the, to carry the team on his back, really. Yeah. I know. But who's to blame in that fourth quarter situation, though? Is it DJ Irons or is it the coaching? I mean, it, it's, I've been seeing this at DJ Irons all year round. I mean, it's just it's just a whole new playbook to him. There's a whole new scheme to him. And at times, he seems a little off. He seems a little undisciplined and seems like don't know what the heck he's doing at times. And it's just like I, was, I remember that one Liberty game where he was heading towards the sidelines. It's just throwing a red to the coaches and stuff. And also, I see that every game in them. It just seems like he just need to get his mind right pretty much and get the mentality together. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that for DJ Irons, but ultimately time management comes down to the coaches. And yes. Coach Joe Moorhead, there's no excuse for him standing on the sideline. You're starting a drive down two scores in the fourth quarter with four minutes left in the game. And you end that drive with a field goal with 39 seconds left in the game. Yeah. And you still had, again, you had two timeouts you can use. Like, you're you're Joe Moorhead. You've been in this position before. You led Mississippi State to -to back-to-back bowl games. You know how to run a good team. You just need to connect your execution. Like, it's just, there's no excuse for not calling any timeouts on that last drive. Yeah, I agree with you. And this season, it's mostly felt like the players have put the coaches in a position to lose. Mm -hmm. But yesterday afternoon, with that final drive, it felt like the coaches were putting the players in a position to lose. Like I said, 39 seconds left on the clock. We're down by a score. Onside kick came nowhere close to it. There was also penalty on that play. And 33-27 ended up being the final score for a golden flash win over the Akron Zips. As I mentioned at the top, their fourth straight win over us. Let's look ahead to next weekend, though, as the Zips take on Miami of Ohio at home at noon. Miami is 3-5, and five, and the Red Hawks are coming off of a 16-10 to 10 loss to the Western Michigan Broncos yesterday. Miami is 1-3 in conference play and 5th in the MAC East, one spot ahead of the Zips. So I asked this question last week. For Kent State, what was the percent chance we were going to win that game? What do you guys think is the percent chance we have to win this game next weekend against Miami? At my most optimistic, it's at 45%. That's the most optimistic I have. Because you did mention they had one conference win. Guess who it is? 
Kent is not a state. That is who their conference win is. But if you see it, Kent, Kent State and Miami, they're basically the same team, except they don't have they don't have any they don't have they hardly have any sacks compared to Kent State. So I see this as a more winnable game for the Zips, but I still don't think we're gonna win this game. I mean, same same way I see the Browns not winning a single game for the rest of the year. The same way I don't see the Zips winning a single game for the rest of the year. Whoa. I mean, honestly, it's just that they've been doing almost everything right. Almost everything right. They've been playing the perfect game almost. It's just they find a way to lose. They yeah, just find a way. Yeah, that's the thing. They, they produce winnable games, yet they always find ways to yeah. get in their own way. They create their own hurdles. Like, like it's, it's the just same way they, right <laughs> The same way they lost to Central Michigan tells me everything about the Zips team. <laughs> I mean, this is the same team that nearly lost to St. Francis in their first <clears throat> in their first game. <laughs> I don't know why we had that fireworks show at the end. And, and could you imagine we if we couldn't. lost that game? <laughs> oh, could you imagine if we didn't win in overtime against St. Francis? Oh, I would have been laughing. If, if this football team was a person, it would be Steve Urkel. Oh, Marcus, you're the most entertaining member for reason, man. <laughs> so my percent chance for the Zips to beat the Red Hawks of Miami, I have it at 35%. So Miami is it. They're not really anything special as a football team. They have wins over Kent State and Northwestern, but they're notorious for being competitive in losses to other teams like Buffalo and Western Michigan. So with that being said, the Zips are also nothing special as a football team. We have one overtime win against St. Francis this season, and that's it. So I still favor Miami in this game. And like you guys said, the Zips like to lose. They find ways mm-hmm. to lose, and whether it's starting slow or starting strong, no matter what, they always finish slow, which is a huge problem when you're playing in MAC football, and I expect that same thing to be a problem against the Red Hawks. Yep. But say we do win this game. How do we get it done? How do we go out there on Saturday at home and beat the Red Hawks? Psst, Joe Moorhead, if you're listening closely, let me tell you something. Protect DJ Irons at all costs. He's, like I said, our offensive line is absolutely terrible. You need to create gaps. You need to make sure DJ Irons has plenty of time to get rid of the ball to Alex Adams, Jock Louis, to to just anyone. And for our defense, you need to create pressure on the quarterback. Because yesterday you had zero sacks against Kent State. Not one sack. You need to create pressure. You need to make sure that their running backs and quarterback have to, they basically have to work for each yard. you got to create pressure. And you got to hold on to the ball and create less turnovers and force them to use different plays. Because screen passes, that is our Achilles, that's one of our Achilles heels. We can't stop screen passes at all. I'm not sure if you need to create a new blocking schemes for the online or they just need extra time in the weight room already. Uh, anyways, but it's just that you have an efficient pass attack, as always. You have shown that all year round. And just the run game, I saw some improvement last game, but needs to prove a little bit more. But I guess either blocking scheme or have the lineman in the weight room a little bit more 
and with the defensive schemes is um, I don't know why you always play zone coverage all the time. I mean, you got you got um, capable cornerbacks to play press coverage. I mean, change it up a little bit. Maybe it's just he was allowing too many big plays yesterday. But allowing too many big plays all year round. Receivers been getting wide open like they're Casper or like their imaginary friends. Pretty much, like you have no idea that they're on the field. It's just that <laughs> you need to get right. You need to spend extra time on the drawing board and. Get the right game play. That's all I need to say. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you guys. We definitely have to go out there and play with some intensity. We talked about how we had the Central Michigan win in our hands and how the time management killed us yesterday against the Kent State Electric Chickens. Coaching has to be better, and our players have to be better to close out games, especially when we're about to take on Miami. And they're a team that can test in any and all football games. So that fourth quarter is going to be really important next Saturday. So hopefully the Zips can pull it out. But guys, do you think the Zips are actually going to win another game this year? We have four more games left. Miami of Ohio, Eastern Michigan, Buffalo, and Northern Illinois. I don't see it happening. It's like the old saying, what what will go wrong can't go wrong, will go wrong. So it's going to go wrong, Marcus. Yeah, That's what it's going to go wrong. Yeah, first off, you had that, you had that fumble at the end of the at the end of the game against Central Michigan, and you had that twenty-one point quarter by Kent State, including horrible time management. It just pains me to wonder what, how else can we lose mm-hmm. games? What can I add to the list of ways to lose games? According to the Akron Sims, it's just. <laughs> Ugh, it's the same I just way. don't see us winning it's a, another one. Like I said, the same way you feel about the Cleveland Browns. I don't know. You're not even a Browns fan, though, Marcus. Like, I'm a Browns fan and a Zips fan. I've seen every single possible way that a football team can lose a game. If there's a way to lose a game, I've seen it in my 21 years of life watching the Zips and watching the Browns. Trust me, I've seen them all. And if the Zips somehow find a different way to lose a football game with these last four games then sure, I'll say I'll see that too. But I think Eastern Michigan is the only game that we have a chance to win. But we have to think about it from their side as well. We're we're simply not a good football team. And I'm yep. sure Eastern Michigan is looking forward to playing us for the chance for a win. So while I think the game is winnable, I'm still going to say we lose, which means no, I don't think the Zips are going to win another game this year. So I do agree with you guys, unfortunately, which means yet another one-win season for our Akron Zips. Yeah, exactly. Let's move on from our Akron Zips, though, and have some fun with week eight of college football. I can't believe it's already been eight weeks since we've been doing this, but it's time for this week's winners and losers of college football. Marcus, I'll go to you first for a winner. All right, so my number one winner for this week is the Clemson Tigers. I mean, the way they was able to pull in, the way he was able to keep it together and make a comeback with a true freshman and a true freshman quarterback at Clubley Neck and still came out the win over Syracuse 27-21 to after being down 21-10. to Sad for DJ Olugale. It sounds like a ukulele or something. <laughs> 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 I don't know how you pronounce this. <laughs> Just take a... Luca Laley, that's how you pronounce his last name, Alugale. It's sad to see him get benched. I thought he was a talented player. My two other winners is Oregon and TCU. They show us that they could be the best teams in their conferences with the wins they had over ranked opponents yesterday. They got what it takes. 
All right, my winners, I have two of the same winners as you, Marcus. I have number five, Clemson. They beat 14th-ranked Syracuse 27-21 to in a game where the Tigers ran for 293 yards. It was their 38th straight win at home. But the real reason they're a winner is that they don't have a tough remaining schedule and they'll likely make the playoff for going undefeated. And then I also have the Oregon Ducks as a winner. They beat nine-ranked UCLA yesterday, 45-30. to And QB Bo Nix went 22 for 28, 283 yards and five touchdown passes. The Ducks also scored 28 points in the second quarter, leading the game 31-13 to going into halftime. So that 45-30 to final score definitely makes the game look a little bit closer than it actually was. Casey, who are your winners for this week in college football? Well, I have the same two as you guys do. Oregon for having that strong game against UCLA. That was a very hype 9-10 matchup and it definitely delivered. TCU for beating Kansas State, they had to come back, and they did it. It's it, This team is entertaining to watch. They might mm-hmm. actually go on to win the Big 12. And my other winner is LSU for pulling off that stunning upset against Ole Miss. Actually, I shouldn't say stunning because they LSU was actually favored. But they did get the job done over there at Death Valley, and they LSU just, I think they're back. All right, well, it is time for losers of this week. Of course, losers are always a little bit more fun than winners because we can really nitpick as some of these college football teams. Marcus, I'll go to you first again here for your loser for this week of college football. I have to give it in the Ole Miss, Ole Miss Rebels. Uh, give it in the Ole Miss Rebels. I mean, it's just that uh, they were showing that they was, I thought of them as the second best best offense in the country uh, right behind the Tennessee Volunteers. It's just that the conference they show yesterday only scoring 20 against an unranked LSU Tigers team, which I thought as a program in decline and way to disappoint everyone. And also, my second loser is the Kansas the Kansas Jayhawks. I mean, they was becoming the feel-good story of all the sports so far this season. And for them to lose three straight games, even though they have their starting quarterback. It's just sad to see. Same old Kansas Jayhawks. That it is. Casey, go ahead with your losers. Jake, you and I, I know we have the exact same one. It is the Weber State Wildcats out of the FCS. And Marcus, you may not have seen it, but before the show, I talked. To, we talked about this. Weber State gave up four safeties. Not one. Not two, shout out to Iowa, four safeties. And all four of them occurred when Weber State was punting near their own end zone. We're talking four high snaps that went over the punter's you head. You kidding me. No, I am not joking. <laughs> all four of those snaps went over the punter's head. It, it went all the way to the back of the end zone. And four safeties, they ended up losing that game to Montana State, but... I just needed something to laugh at. Yeah, the wild safety. The Wildcats were undefeated and lost to Montana State 43 to 38 and they gave up 8 points on four separate safeties on four snaps oh from their long snapper <laughs> on punts that went way over the punter's head. <laughs> you know the long snapper's name? Grant Sands. Grant Sands, um if I was you, 
I'll stay in wherever you live at, an apartment, dormitory, wherever. I'll stay in there for a week. I'm going to come out and show my face. <laughs> if you got Wu Bay, get him to get your groceries or something. I'm not showing my face if I was you. <laughs> I just don't understand why they let him even go out there that many times. <laughs> I mean, three of those took place in the first half, and then he gave up another one in the second half. It's hilarious. How does their long snapper give up eight points? How does that? How do you let that happen? And you lose by five. You lose by five. I mean, yeah, it completely unacceptable there for the Wildcats. My other loser that I have on my list is Iowa's offense. Iowa's offense was terrible yesterday in the horseshoe against Ohio State. Their quarterbacks combined 11 and 24 for 81 yards and three interceptions, and their offense gave up five sacks committed six total turnovers, and only scored three points against Ohio State's defense. So Iowa's defense and Weber State's long snapper Grant Sands are my losers for this week of college football. That'll do it for our college football segment, though. Hopefully you all enjoyed that. But when we come back, we'll transition to the MLB, talk about the Guardian season that came to an end against the Yankees in the ALDS. And we'll also talk about the current championship series. All that and more next on Sports Power Talk. What's going on, everyone? And welcome back to the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. This is Sports Power Talk. My name is Jake Marin. I'm the host of this very talk show, and I'm joined by two analysts. First, Mark Sanderson. I can't believe I just heard that new Taylor Swift, man. I really love it. <laughs> is it your first time? Yeah, it's little my anti-hero. first time. <laughs> little anti-hero. I'm loving it. Yeah, not a bad album at all. And second, making his first appearance on SPT, it is Casey Rush. We go from talking Akron Zips to the Guardians. Oh, boy. Why do we have to do this? Yeah, it was a rough week in Cleveland sports, and none of you guys are even, like, full Cleveland sports fans up here. It's just me. So it's been it's been a fairly rough week. And, of course, I kind of adopted a, a Carolina Panthers fandom, too, this season. And, yeah, uh, that was your biggest mistake. <laughs> and, uh, it, it's been rough. It's been rough. What can I say? It's not been a great week. But let's talk about our Cleveland Guardians. And let's recap that game five of the ALDS against the New York Yankees, where we lost 5-1 to one in a win-or-go-home game. The only run for the Guardians came from a Jose Ramirez RBI sack fly in the third inning, and Aaron Savali only recorded one out after a walk-on four pitches to the first batter of the game, a strikeout, a hit batter, and, of course, that three-run homer given up to Giancarlo Stanton. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about this managerial controversy that everybody was talking about earlier this week. Should the Guardians have started Shane Bieber? Yeah, they should have, especially with this being the deciding game of the whole series. This all counts right here. Take you uh, one series away from B in the World Series to face the Astros. It's it's a very important game. I don't know why you you don't start your best pitcher. Consider... Yeah, yeah, especially considering the fact that not one, but two games in that ALDS got postponed. You actually had more, Shane Bieber actually had more days of rest than you think. Right. But it's, uh, I just will never understand that. They should have definitely started Shane Bieber. We would have had a better chance, even though I think we would have lost the game anyways. 
because the Yankees have always had our number. Yeah, definitely. It's just, but yeah, like you said, uh, Casey, with those two weather delays, it really ruined the momentum we really had on the Yankees pretty much. Mm-hmm. To me, I kind of disagree with you guys. I align with the opposite opinion, and this was a big topic of conversation in our group chat here at WZIP Sports. It was pretty much Matt and I versus Devin Lucas up here, and Devin agreed with you guys. He thought that Shane Bieber should have started this game, and he should have been the one to start it, and it was a winner-go-home game. Maybe if he starts it, the momentum changes for the Guardians. To me, though... Sure, he could have pitched a few innings, which might have changed the landscape of the game earlier on, but Shane Bieber can't score you any runs. If you told me that the Guardians were only going to score one run in Game 5 before it started, I would have told you that we were going to lose 10 times out of 10. Hey, they did against Tampa yeah. Bay. He swapped them. Sure, yeah, but that's because but Shane Bieber had... wasn't going to be available for the 7 or 8 innings that he pitched in that game. Yeah, you know, probably. Shane Bieber went seven innings in that game, and then Class A closed it out with a two-inning save in that game one in the wild card against Tampa Bay. Yeah, plus True. Tampa Bay was the battle of the bullpens. Both of both teams had a very good bullpen. It was, all depends on which bullpen would make the first mistake, and Tampa Bay made the first mistake. That is true. Yeah, so for me, sure, momentum could have been different, but the Guardians' bullpen ended up giving up two runs in the game anyways, and it was our offense that couldn't capitalize when given the opportunity that lost us that game. One run in a win-or-go-home game. It doesn't matter who's starting. Pit, who's starting. It, to me, we are losing that game 10 times out of 10, whether it's Shane Bieber or whether it's Aaron Savali. Of course, you can argue the fact that, hey, if Shane Bieber gives you three innings, three shutout innings to start the game, maybe our bullpen comes in, rides on that momentum, and shuts out the Yankees, which to me, I don't think that would have happened. It's it's a what-if scenario, but to me, I don't think it makes sense starting Shane Bieber or really having this conversation when the Guardians, like I said, scored one run in a winner-go-home game, and that's ultimately what decided the series and what ended our season was the lack of offensive production for the Cleveland Guardians. And speaking of our offense, two guys that were most productive this regular season were Jose Ramirez and Andres Jimenez. And it came out that they actually played through injuries. So for Ramirez, he did not have potential season-ending thumb surgery in June for a torn ligament in his right hand. And he incredibly batted over 300 after sustaining that injury. And for Jimenez, he played through a non-displaced thumb fracture in the final month of the season and in the playoffs. Thankfully, his injury won't require surgery. But what does that speak to you guys in terms of Ramirez and Jimenez playing through injuries? Of course, Jimenez didn't have a great postseason, but Ramirez being the GOAT that he is on our team. If Jose Ramirez can hit like that, when he's injured just imagine how he can hit when he's not injured and you said it he he had this injury since june but since the doctor said there was no risk of making it worse he just played on through it and now during this offseason he's got plenty of time to heal and he'll be ready for 2023 i absolutely like the future for the guardians here Definitely. This just shows us the possibilities for his team heading forward, honestly. I mean, with the mixture of veteran talent and young talent like Steven Kwan, things are only going to get better for Kwan. It's oh, just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially this bullpen being one of the, one of the best pitching rotations of all, of all of Major League Baseball. It's just, there's a lot of proven for this team. 
Yeah, I agree with you guys. And for Jimenez, he clearly didn't play well in the postseason, struck out way more often than he normally would. And that was kind of a theme for the entire Guardians lineup was strikeouts in the ALDS. We were a team that was notorious for putting the ball in play, whether that's our infield hits or just putting it in play regardless of if it's an out or not. And we were striking out a lot in the ALDS against the Yankees. And partially, that came a lot from Andres Jimenez. And you could make a solid argument saying Miles Straw or even Austin Hedges played better than Andres Jimenez in that ALDS. I know Jimenez had an RBI hit, but at least Austin Hedges got on base more. And Mm -hmm. if you're arguing it based on defense, of course, Andres Jimenez wins that because he should win a Gold Glove Award this season for his play at second base, whereas... Austin Hedges from behind the mound or from behind the plate, he can't throw a ball to second base to save his life. No. So for me, it, it, it's it things to see that Andre Jimenez was playing through that injury. And maybe if the Guardians manager, Tita Francona, was recognized, was re- able to recognize that and maybe play somebody else at second base, at least for offense, I know. It's really a tough situation to be in because you know Andre Jimenez can provide runs. He can provide hits when you need them. But are you really sacrificing the quality of the team and the quality of the lineup when you're playing a guy who's injured and who's striking out and who's not playing his brand of baseball in the postseason? I mentioned Tito, though. Let's talk about Terry Francona as he will return as manager as if there was any doubt. Tito said, quote, I want to see that group grow. I want to be a part of that, end quote. Tito has an open-ended contract, and Chris Antonetti said, we want Tito to manage as long as it makes sense to him on his end. Tito will return. I don't think there was any doubt in that. No. But what do you guys think of Terry Francona returning to the the ball club? Actually, I'm not really shocked because he did say this season that this group of guys energized him this whole year. Like we said before, this is the youngest team in baseball. They still have more time to grow, and you're going to see that potentially next season. And Terry Francona definitely wants to be there. Like He's been considering retirement for so long, but he did say that, again, this group energized him. And I think it's just going to energize him even more. And the future is still looking bright for Terry Francona. Oh, yeah, this is definitely a great move, great decision for him to stay at Cleveland. I mean, the Guardians are doing just the opposite of what they always do with their key contributors, their key players. Uh, they gave uh, Jose Ramirez that fat contract. They keep it Francona here. It's like things are only going to get better. They, there's only better days ahead for this team, this ball club right here. And also, I take it back a while ago. I said this was the first round exit waiting to happen. I take it back. They really proved me wrong. To see him sweep the Rays and then almost beat the Yankees is just... I take everything back I said about this scene. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to hear it because there are definitely some toxic messages in our group chat from you, Marcus, about the Guardians this season. So I am happy to hear that you're taking it all back because the Guardians are for real. The Guardiac kids are only going to be stronger next year. And talking about next year, let's talk about the off-season priorities for this team. What do you guys think that the Guardians need to focus on this off-season to improve next year and potentially make a longer postseason run in 2023? Well, for this, well, for this one, you got to focus on your weakest links. Like, there's one pitcher that I know I said our bullpen was absolutely tremendous, but there's one 
pitcher that I'm not sold on, and that's Brian Shaw. He showed that in 2016, 2017, and he's showing it this year. I just don't trust Brian Shaw because it seems like every time I watch him, he's given up hit after hit after hit and home run. So he does have a club option this year on his contract. So I'd say we get rid of him. We should trade him because Brian Shaw is definitely our weak link in the bullpen. And then you got Owen Miller, who's our so-called designated hitter. He hasn't been doing anything of note that I've seen. So I think we should trade Owen Miller as well as Brian Shaw. All right, trade Owen Miller, trade Brian Shaw. I mean, Brian Shaw, I think he's just inconsistent. I think he got yeah. gets a lot of hate from Guardians fans. But he did start some games this year against the Red Sox when we desperately needed him to, and we won those games. So I'm definitely more of a Brian Shaw fan than a Brian Shaw hater. Sure, he has terrible starts every once in a while or terrible relief outings once in a while, but... He has pitched a ton of innings for the Guardians and a Cleveland team in the past. So I do respect Brian Shaw, but it might be time for him to maybe get traded, but maybe even put up the cleats and call it a career. So I agree with you with that. Then Owen Miller, I'll get to that with my offseason priorities. But first, Marcus, what do you think the Guardians should focus on this offseason? I'd say sustain your uh, pitching lineup pretty much. I mean, they did a great job. Statistically, this season, I mean, almost in the top 10, almost every pitching category. And also, I'll say focus on your bad lineups. Try to get more heavy hitters and free agency this offseason. I mean, you was kind of weak there. Even though Ramirez, like you said, Jimenez, he was battling injuries all season round. And just... A full health from them, 100% from them, can really approve this ball club's hitting. But try to look for some heavy hitters in your lineup. And also, maybe they should get some veterans on there. I think they just missed some leadership because this is a very young team and just need some guidance and need some leadership in their locker room. Yeah, that's a good point as well. For my offseason priorities, first I have keep the pitching staff as is. The pitching staff needs to stay together. We know how dominant Bieber and McKenzie are. I know Savali and Plesak weren't sharp this season, but they also weren't healthy either. Hopefully they can figure something out for next season. And I'm okay with throwing in Cody Morris into the rotation as well. My second offseason priority is keeping your eyes on the rookie and making sure there's no rookie regression. Any baseball player can go from having a fantastic year to having a terrible year just like that. While I trust the skill set and work ethic of both Stephen Kwan and Oscar Gonzalez, for example, I don't want to see them or other rookies we called up this season to experience any type of regression in year two. And then my last offseason priority is to sign a bat. Owen Miller, Gabriel Arias, and Josh Naylor were designated hitters this offseason, and that hurts our lineup. Josh Naylor should be at first base, and then we should have a powerful hitter at DH. Framo Reyes wasn't the answer, so I'd like the Guardians to go and sign the answer. I know that's not what the Guardians typically do during an offseason. We're usually pretty cheap during the offseason, but Mm -hmm. imagine plugging a guy like J.D. Martinez into our lineup as a DH or exploring the the stacked shortstop market that this offseason has to play. And you could play that shortstop at DH or maybe alternate 
alternate him and Ahmed Rosario out there as well. The options are limitless, but I really think we need that experienced bat, like you said, Marcus, but a bat that can provide power when we need it. And in the postseason, we didn't have much power. And when we did, it was solo home runs, maybe two-run home runs. And that's not going to keep up with teams right now who are still alive in the postseason in the Yankees and Astros, at least in the AL side of things, when those teams are hitting home runs left and right every single game in the postseason. So keep the pitching staff as is, no rookie regression, and sign a bat are my three offseason priorities for the Cleveland Guardians. Hopefully the Guardiac kids will be back next year stronger than ever, and I actually have no doubt that will be the case. Let's talk about the current MLB playoffs going on, though, and let's talk about the American League Championship Series going on right now between the Astros and the New York Yankees. Game one, the Astros won 4-2. to Harrison Bader hit a solo home run in the second inning. Yuli Gurriel, Chaz McCormick, and Jeremy Pena all hit solo home runs for the Astros. Game two, Astros won 3-2. to All it took was an Alex Bregman three-run home run in the third inning for the Astros to win. Game three... Astros won 5-0. to zero. Chaz McCormick again, two-run homer in the second inning. And they, they held the Yankees to only three hits from Giancarlo Stanton, Harrison Bader, and Matt Carpenter. What do you guys make of this series so, fo- so far? Of course, the Houston Astros lead it 3-0. to zero. The Astros just might as well just put them out of their misery. You know, I mean, they already went there and trained on them. I mean, they're the best team in all of baseball for the longest time. I still got that Sports Illustrated magazine cover with George Springer on the front. And it's from 2014 when they've still one of the worst teams in the league. And it said, you're 2017 World, World Series champions, Houston Astros. If I told you they was going to be the best team from years ago, you thought I'd be crazy. But it's just that they're already showing that they still consistent. They're basically like the New England Patriots and San Antonio Spurs of Major League Baseball. It's just they showing it. This is a real dynasty. Yeah, this is a team that's still trying to win a legitimate title after 2017 kind of got vacated because of trash can gate. Yeah, this is this is the strongest I've seen the Astros. Of course, Chas McCormick, Alex Bregman, Yuri Gurriel. They hit. They've been the power hitters. For the Astros, this this is a team that's out for blood, and they've shown that. And you got the Yankees on the other side serving so many cookies you thought it was a bake sale, and that includes. And the Astros are taking advantage. They've given up five home runs this whole series with with eight of them for run with eight runs for them, and it's just I just don't see the Yankees coming back in this series. The Astros have just been dominant. They have been dominant, and Game 4 is today at 7.07. The Astros lead the series 3-0, and the pitching matchup will be Lance McCullers versus Nestor Cortez for the Yankees. Do you guys see this game and this series ending today with Game 4 for the Astros, or do you think the Yankees make a miraculous comeback, win the series, maybe make it a game or two longer? What do you guys think? It ends right here. The Yankees are pretending. Yeah, I yeah, I just see the Astros winning. Just put the Yankees out of your misery. Yeah. yeah, Yankees fans, you said that the you said that the you own the Guardians. Well, guess what? If the guard if the Yankees are the Guardians' daddy, then the Astros are our grandpa. They the Yankees <laughs> just own you as well. And that's the top of the food chain, that's the cycle. 
Yeah, I believe I believe when you said the Astros are the top of the food chain. I don't think the Astros are going to win today because I believe in Nestor Cortez, but I have the Astros winning in Game 5 and a quick series for the Houston Astros to make it back to the World Series, and who knows who they'll play in from the National League. And let's talk about the NLCS between the Padres and the Phillies, a wildly entertaining series going on here in the championship series for the NL game one the Phillies won two to zero Zach Wheeler had a great start pitching seven innings only giving up one hit one walk and struck out eight Padres in the process Schwarber and Harper both hit solo home runs in that game game two Padres won eight to five the Phillies scored four runs in the second inning. Drury and Bell for the Padres had back-to-back home runs in the second inning. And the Padres scored five runs in the fifth inning to get the win. Game three, the Phillies won 4-2. to two. Schwarber hit a leadoff home run for the Phillies. And a Segura two-RBI single and Bohm RBI double sealed the win for Philly. And then last night, game four, the Phillies won 10 to 6. The Padres had a four run first inning. Started off with a Manny Machado solo home run. Everybody counted the Phillies out. And then the Phillies responded right away in the first inning with three runs after a Reese Hoskins two run home run. And this game was the first time since 1932 that both starting pitchers in a postseason game were taken out in the first inning. Mike Clevenger, former Cleveland pitcher, Pitched the game for the Padres, called the game one of the worst days of his life against the Phillies last night. Juan Soto hit a two-run homer in the fifth. Reese Hoskins hit yet another two-run homer in the fifth inning to respond. Kyle Schwarber and JT Realmuto both had solo home runs as well. I mentioned that this was a wildly entertaining series. It doesn't get much better when you have games decided Eight to five in game two, ten to six last night. What do you guys make of the Phillies Padres series? I mean, I this was expected. I mean, you got two exciting teams, two fun teams to watch. I mean, they're pretty much identical. I thought it could went either way, despite it being just three to one, a huge deficit. It could went either way. I thought. I mean, two identical teams are two heavy hitters, heavy hitting teams, and might not be equally as. Even though the Padres might be. A little bit better defensively, but two two almost identical teams. And also, I was thinking about the next jersey might be either a Barry Sanders jersey or this Steve Carlton jersey I just saw on eBay. I might get a Steve Carlton jersey. <laughs> I was going to Steve Carlton. Yeah, maybe. Casey, what do you think? Oh, man. that These are two teams that are just fun to watch. This series, this series should be closer than it is. But the Phillies are still up three games. But the Phillies are up three games to one. Despite all the talent on from both of these teams, you got Bryce Harper, Reese Hoskins, and that's a deep drive by Nick Castellanos that'll make it a four nothing ball game. And then you got Kyle Schwarber, and the Padres defense just doesn't have an answer. But then you go over to the Padres side; they got. They got just as much talent. You got Juan Soto. You got Manny Machado. You got Josh Bell, Brandon Drury. And in game five, you got you got a battle between two great pitchers in Ute Darvish and Zach Wheeler. This you got so much talent, and it's a shame that this series is not close. It's it's a shame that it's not close. 
Yeah, that it is in Game 5 today at 2.37 p.m. The Phillies lead the series 3-1. to one. This game is going to be in Philadelphia. It will once again be you, Darvish, versus Zach Wheeler. Marcus, how do you think Game 5 goes today? Um, I think the Padres might make a comeback. You know, this was going back and forth. Uh, it's been an unpredictable series. Uh, like I said, it could go either uh, either way. But I got the Padres. Do you have the Padres winning Game 5? Who do you think wins the series? I mean, with the way Bryce Harper, he's looking like Bryce Harper from six years ago. So I say I got Phillies. All right, Phillies winning the NLCS. Casey, what do you think happens in Game 5 today? And if you have the Padres winning, what do you think happens in the series in general? Oh, I It pains me to say this because the series should be a lot closer, but I do think the Phillies are going to win this one. There's just Bryce Harper, Kyle Schwarber. I went over the names a lot. And it's just the Phillies, they just have all the talent to go far. And... It's a shame because the series should be closer, but I have the Phillies winning. Yeah, I have the Phillies winning Game 5 as well. Zach Wheeler, I mentioned his dominant performance in Game 1 of this series. I expect him to be great. Hugh Darvish, he pitched well, but gave up those two solo home runs to Kosh Warber and Bryce Harper. I could see the same thing happening today. Reese Hoskins has been heating up as well for the Phillies. And they have a lot of dangerous hitters in their lineup, so I really like the Phillies to win Game 5 today, which leaves us with a very entertaining World Series matchup. We'll get to that in a moment. But first, we have to do our playoff player of the week, where each of us picks one MLB player to feature four player of the week, regardless of position and could be for accomplishments on or off the field. Of course, this is a special playoff edition. Only four teams to pick from. Marcus, who do you have for playoff player of the week? Oh, my playoff player of the week is Bryce Harper. I mean, he's been, he's the reason why the Phillies are here. He's the reason why the Phillies been playing how they've been playing. He's also one so far. I don't want him go down as one of the greatest players ever to not win a to not win a championship. So I really for loving him, and that's why he's my playoff player of the week. Yeah, I definitely agree with you with Bryce Harper. He has a batting average so far this postseason of 400. He's hit four home runs, seven RBIs, and he's been making contact with the ball. He's got 14 hits, and Bryce Harper's just been everywhere on the score sheet. Like, it's amazing what Bryce Harper's been able to do. Yeah, I am in complete agreement with you guys. I think last week was our first time. Everybody agreed on player of the week because we all said Oscar Gonzalez simultaneously. And I agree with you guys this week as well. It is Bryce Harper for me. He had a solo home run in game one of the NLCS, which would have been enough to win that game. And he also had an RBI double last night in game four. In 10 games this postseason, his batting average is 410 with nine RBIs and four home runs. Sure, Reese Hoskins, Kyle Schwarber, JT Romuto are hitting home runs, but Bryce Harper is also hitting the ball very well, whether that be home runs, extra base hits, whatever it might be. He's getting runners across the plate, scoring them, and doing a lot of good things for the Philadelphia Phillies in a very exciting Philadelphia Phillies team at that. So, four teams alive. That brings us to our Around the Root question of the week where we debate around the table and bring it to you via our Twitter page at WZIP Sports. And the question this week is simply, who's going to win the World Series? Four options. Very easy. Astros, Yankees, Phillies, Padres. Marcus, who do you have? Uh, I got the Astros. 
Yeah, I'd say the Astros beat the Phillies in seven games. I can see that being a fantastic matchup. In seven games? Yeah. What is your World Series matchup, Marcus? So my World Series matchup is the Astros and the Phillies. Astros, Phillies. And how many games does that go? I say that goes um, five games. Five games. Five games. All right. The Phillies lineup can pile on runs, but in a seven-game series, I have to go with the safe pick, which is the Astros. Hot Mike is live, or around the Rue is live on Twitter, at WZIP Sports. Go vote. Let us know who's going to win the World Series. Let us know in the comments as well why you think the Astros, Phillies, maybe the Yankees and Padres make a comeback. Unlikely, but we've seen more wild things in the MLB postseason. When we come back from break, we're going to talk about the NBA. The first week of the NBA is underway. We'll talk about who's hot, who's not, talk about the Cavs season, and also answer all your questions from Hot Mike via at WZIP Sports. All that and more coming up on Sports Power Talk. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Sports Power Talk, the best sports talk show there is, was, and ever will be. My name is Jake Murn, the host of this very show, and I am joined by Mark Sanderson. Back at it. And by Casey Rush making his first appearance on Sports Power Talk. Yay, it's fantastic to be here. Yeah, first hour down, one more hour to go, and we finished last segment by talking about Around the Rue. It is live on Twitter But I wanted to begin this segment as, of course, we're going to talk about the NBA and talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers. But last week's Around the Rue question was, who's going to win the NBA MVP award this season among the top three betting favorites? So we had Luka Doncic, Joel Embiid, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. And then we had another category as well. And we asked, if you're going to vote other, let us know in the comments who you think is going to win MVP. I voted for Joel Embiid. He got 25% of the votes. Luka Doncic received 33% of the votes. Giannis did not get a single vote for him, and 42% voted other. So who this other person is, we don't really know. But who do you guys have for winning the NBA MVP? Is it Doncic and beat Antetokounmpo, or did you guys vote for other? Um, I'm voting for other. I mean, is he going to be between John Morant or Zion Williamson? Really? Yes, sir. Zion. Yeah, Zion. I mean, he's looking. (laughs) I mean, 100% on him. He's already looking like the MVP. I mean, like like one coach said, Frank Vogel, he said he's like Shaquille O'Neal, but with more athletic ability. I mean, he already's got the looks of a Hall of Famer already. I mean, with the stats he put up in his All-Star season as a rookie, he's already got the looks of a Hall of Famer. All right. Yeah, I... Yeah, I agree with you. I voted for Luca because he has been the most consistent player, I, one of the most consistent players in the NBA right now. He's putting up 30-point nights every single night. But then I – but not to mention, and Marcus did mention one of my other candidates, John Morant. He's he's in the top five right now in points per game, assists per game, and three-point field goals made per game. John Morant has just been all over the floor right now for the Memphis Grizzlies, and he's making a strong case, even though this season is still very young. 
Yeah, and we're only two, maybe three games in for some teams so far in this NBA season. I still think Joel Embiid is going to win it, even though it's been a rough start to the season for the 76ers. But I do like John Morant as a potential MVP candidate. And we're not going to entertain Jimmy Butler for MVP, are we, Marcus? No, we're not. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Logan Congrove, if you're listening, get out of here with your heat culture. Get out of here with your Jimmy Butler winning the NBA (laughs) MVP. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it anymore. Oh, yes. So, guys, let's get into the first week of the NBA season. Who's starting the year hot and who's not? Let's start with who's not, which means we'll discuss the L.A. Lakers first and the Lakers' rough start. They're 0-2 after playing the Warriors and Clippers. They lost 100-3 to to 97 to the Clippers on Thursday night last week. In that game, Russell Westbrook scored two points. He missed all 11 shots he took from the field, and he went 0 for 6 on his three-point attempts. It was his first zero-field goal game since 2016, and when asked about his performance after the game, he said he played, quote, solid, played hard, that's all you can ask for, end quote. So guys, Russell Westbrook, two points, didn't make a single shot from the field, said he played solid. What did you guys make of not only the Lakers' rough start, but... Russell Westbrook breaking a lot of shots to start the 2022 season. He's just being delusional right now. (laughs) 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 Man, listen, for the Lakers 0-2 start, obviously, but first one, they played Golden State. Yeah, you had no chance of winning that game. But for the Clippers, oh, boy, the Clippers. Russell Westbrook, you go 0-for-11, including 0 for 6 from 3. You only scored two points, and those were free throws. Like, how can you put up a performance this bad and be happy about it? Like, there's just no there's just no way why you should be satisfied with something like this. And not to mention, I want to throw another wrench into the drawer. Patrick Beverly goes one. He also went 1 for 7, including 1 for 6 from 3. So far, your only player... Right now is LeBron and Anthony Davis. You need more than just two guys to do well in the NBA, especially in the Western Conference. LeBron, you're not in the East anymore. you got to outperform everybody in the West in order to win the Lakers' 18th championship, which is not going to happen if you don't listen. Yeah, it's been a nightmare for the Lakers to start this year. You mentioned Anthony Davis. I don't think Anthony Davis has recorded a single assist to start the year either in the first two games. But what do you guys think about the Lakers, not only their rough start to the season, but their constant effort to make Russell Westbrook work in L.A.? I think they should just give up on that. I mean, it's it's no hope for him. I mean, uh, it shows that he's not uh, like a real team player, you know. It's no... He's not productive. He's unorthodox, too unorthodox to try to develop him. And also, Casey, what are you trying to say about my Clippers? Oh, you're a Clipper? No, no, I no. can't keep Patrick up Beverly's with Marcus. on the Lakers. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, okay. I was just saying, like, you said, my Clippers, like, you try to... <laughs> yeah, oh, Marcus. They should have beat the Clippers, yet they can't do it. I can't keep up with the teams that you're a fan of, Marcus. No, and you didn't even know that Patrick fan. Beverly wasn't a Clipper anymore. I've always been a Clipper. <laughs> How are you a Clippers fan when you yeah, didn't I even just, know? I just found out Patrick Beverly is a Laker. I just <laughs> Right now? No, not right now. Just a week. Just beginning on Monday. 
Just get him, bud. But you're a Clippers fan. <laughs> I, I don't I don't understand. Marcus, the, another team that is starting the year not so hot is a team that I predicted to win the Eastern Conference. So, Marcus, I want to hear from you. Who do you think is going to win the Eastern Conference this year? I think it's the Boston Celtics. Okay, you think the Celtics. I said the 76ers last week, and people laughed at me. Logan and Pat laughed at me when I said the 76ers were going to win the Eastern Conference. Yeah, just give up on them. And the 76ers start the year 0-3. Just give up on them. <laughs> yeah, my favorite to win the East this year has started the season 0-3 against the Celtics, the Bucks, and the Spurs. Against the Bucks, Joel Embiid scored 0 points, 0 for 7 field goals, and 3 turnovers in the second half. And against the Spurs, he bounced back with a 40-point game, but still lost to the Spurs. James Harden has been playing well, but he's been playing 40-minute games this early in the season. The 76ers 0 for 3. What do you guys think about the 76ers start? Uh, oh, the 76ers. I mean, is this like. <clears throat> I'm finally seeing the James Harden. I remember seeing him back in Houston. You know, I'm finally seeing him back dropping 35 first game, 31 the second game. Yeah, he and lost then, 100 pounds, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Makes a big difference. Yeah, he, he did that on purpose. He did. He gained weight on purpose. That's just amazing. And then Joel B. I mean, he's already put up MVP type of numbers, like you said, Jake. He just uh, he dropped 40 last game. But it's just that uh, the Sixers are together, man. It's just I don't know what it is. I don't know what needs to be fixed. It's just like. Uh, I thought Doc Rivers was like fix this whole thing, you know, because he before dealt with teams like this and carried them to championships, you know, like with the Celtics and almost the Clippers. But it's just that this team ain't getting nowhere. This franchise ain't getting nowhere. I just lost faith in this franchise. Yeah, I'm rooting for the 76ers just so that they can make my opinion sound valid. Like, if they win the Eastern Conference, I'm not going to let other people hear the end of it if they do come back and win the East. But a team that has started strong this year is the reigning Eastern Conference championship champions. I'm talking about the Boston Celtics as they beat the 76ers, Heat, and Magic to start the season 3-0. and Jason Tatum is averaging 36 points per game so far this year, and Jalen Brown is averaging 21, nearly 22 points per game so far this season. What do you guys make of the Celtics and their strong start to the year? Listen, Jake, when you were making your picks for the East... How could you forget about Boston when you were picking Philly? Because you know Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they're one of the strongest duos in the NBA. They, like, during one of their games, they put up 35 points each, and they've been consistent so far in their first couple games. And Derek White, he's heating up. He's a great supporting actor for these two. So... And when you saw the 2022 NBA Finals, how could you forget about Boston? You know that they were going to be trying to get stronger after that performance. And Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they're definitely they're definitely a duo to watch out for. Well, let's not forget about what happened this offseason for the Celtics. I mean, their head coach, all that controversy, and with... You know, Jalen Brown, at least, the, his relationship with the Celtics organization seemed to be a little bit tarnished after last year. So I was not high on the Celtics. I actually had the Celtics finishing fourth or fifth in the East. And now they're off to a 3-0 and start. Marcus, what do you think? 
I mean, I say uh, Jason Tatum. I mean, I like to call him Mini Kobe. His resurrection of Kobe Bryant, <laughs> Black Mamba. But anyway, the rest of the team, it's just like I think of them as like almost like a Eastern Conference version of the Golden State Warriors. You know, they make themselves almost look like the Warriors. You know, I mean, they like they like to play small. They like to play light and fast, and also at the same time play great defense. And that's why I think that's my. That's my pick to win the Easter Conference once again. All right, fair pick there. Any other notable takeaways before we get to the Cavs just from this week one of the regular season for the NBA? I could definitely see some new teams into the playoffs with the Memphis Grizzlies getting stronger and the Cavaliers actually making the playoffs and making it past the play-in tournament. I still don't know why you added that. But don't be surprised if we get a rematch in the NBA Finals between the Celtics and the Warriors because those two are the strongest teams in the league right now. And just don't be shocked to see those teams again. I think it's, this going to be Warriors-Cavs 2.0. Interesting. Marcus, any, any notable takeaways from week one of the season? Uh, I'll say that. Watch out for the Pelicans. Uh, Zion is back on the rage, uh, back for a vengeance. And also the Celtics, and they look good pretty much. And also John Moran, he's already looked like the leading candidate for MVP. And it's just that also my Clippers pretty much. My Clippers, Paul George has, Paul George has dropped a 40-point game. First time since 2021, hmm. October. At least you knew <laughs> that Paul see. George was a Clipper. Yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> that's good at least. So. And uh, don't panic about the Lakers. Don't panic about them. Also, I would say don't panic about the Sixers as well. It's just the first three games, the first week of the NBA season. We still got about still 80 games to go. So True. Yeah, <laughs> NBA season is a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. For me, you guys mentioned John Morant and the Grizzlies. Morant against the Rockets in 30 minutes scored 49 points. They've started the year 2-1 and one in the Western Conference. Also, the Atlanta Hawks have started 2-0 and oh to start the year. DeJounte Murray and Trey Young have combined for 98 points and 46 assists in those two games. And then lastly, Jalen Brunson and the New York Knicks. They're, they started off the year 1-1, one and one, but after losing to the Grizzlies by three, they scored 130 points against the Pistons. And Jalen Brunson in two games has scored 32 points, recorded 15 assists, and has not... They have, he has not turned over the ball once so far this year. It's been a very entertaining week one of the NBA season, and it's been an entertaining week one for the Cleveland Cavaliers as well. Let's talk about the 108-105 to loss in the season opener on the road in Toronto against the Raptors. Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell, made his Cavs debut. He made 12 of his 21 shots for 31 points and 9 assists in his Cavs debut. But Darius Garland scored four points in only 13 minutes played because he suffered a left eye laceration in the second quarter. He was unable to return, was out last night against the Bills, and depending on the swelling of his eye, his timetable for a return is unknown. So what do you guys make of Game 1 against the Raptors? First off, did you just call the Chicago Bulls the Bills? Maybe. I don't know. Yes, you did. Uh, my bad, Bulls. <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, the Cavaliers did show that the Cavaliers did show that they were trying to rebuild from that last from that tremendous season last year. Donovan Mitchell has definitely impressed me with 31 points 
and he's been the most consistent player on the Cavs so far. And Darius Garland, as you mentioned, did get hurt, but they did. He did go to the when Trent Jr. went for the steal, but not to worry though because he did say he didn't need surgery as there was no structural damage. So Darius Garland has plenty of time to get better, but we gotta stop certain players because. In that loss to Toronto, all five of the Raptors starters had double figures, including Pascal Siakam getting 22 points, I think. Like, we got to do better on defense. Yeah, I absolutely agree with uh, Casey. I mean, even though it is the Raptors and Nick Nurse, I, he's probably my favorite head coach in the NBA right now. It's just uh, what he's capable of with, like, uh, inferior squad compared to the other teams in the NBA and also um, I see a lot of improvement with Scotty Barnes already the reigning rookie of the year in year two but anyways with the Cavs it's just that it's a great debut for Donovan Mitchell it shows that there's better things to come Uh, what we what we expected to see was to come with this Cleveland Cavaliers team and also I'm sad to see with Darius Garland I hope he comes back very soon won't be Hopefully he won't be on the injuries list for so long. But anyways, I do agree we should improve defensively. And that's what we did uh, game two against the Bulls. And great to see that. Uh, what a butt woman they put on Chicago. Yeah, absolutely. The Bulls, not the Bills. My there bad. The We beat the Bulls 128-96. to 96. It was 70-54 to 54 at halftime, and the Cavs scored 34 or more points in three of the four quarters of play. Mitchell became the first player in Cavs history to open the season with back-to-back 30-point games as he scored 32 against Chicago. What do you guys make of the dominating win over the Bulls? Listen. With Darius Garland out, they the Cavs really needed to step up. And Mitchell, of course, he had another amazing night with 32 points. Evan Mobley finished with 16. But with Garland out, the Cavs bench needed to step up. And oh my goodness, they did. Kevin Love and C.D. Osman each finished with 15 points. And Robin Lopez finished with 12. This was just a complete game by the Cavaliers on both sides. And... This was an absolutely incredible game to watch after that loss to Toronto. Yeah, I could not agree more. Let's look ahead to this upcoming week of play for the Cleveland Cavaliers. We host Washington and the Wizards tonight. Then we play at home again against the Orlando Magic before going on the road to play the Boston Celtics. In those three games, what do you guys like for the Cavs? Uh, Wizards, they could knock them out of the way. Bradley Beal, I feel so sorry for you. I wish they would just give you away, give you up. And they could knock that out the way. The Cavaliers, same thing with the Orlando Magic. As always, the worst team, not only in the Eastern Conference, but the entire NBA. And the Boston Celtics, uh, that's a real test. That's a real test. Yeah, that it is. Casey, what do you think? Yeah, I can honestly see us going 2-1 and one in these games. Of course, Washington, it's obviously difficult to win back-to-back games and back-to-back days on the road. Back-to-back days. Actually, no, we're not on the road. We're at home this time around. But it is still, it's 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 hard to win back-to-back games in back-to-back days. I've seen it in hockey with the Penguins, but with the Cavaliers, it's no different. But I still think we can beat the Wizards. I still think we could beat the Magic, but I just don't see a stopping Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in the Boston Celtics. I just don't see it. 
Yeah, the Wizards are 2-0 and with wins over the Pacers and Bulls. It is the second game of a back-to-back for the Cavs, but I do like the Cavs carrying the momentum from last night into tonight for a win. I think the Cavs take care of business against the Magic. And then the Boston Celtics, I'll chalk that up as a loss on the road. So 2-1 and this week for the Cavs. I have no complaints on that. But before we go to break here on Sports Power Talk, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Hot Mike. Yes, it is time for Hot Mike. And every single time Marcus is on for Hot Mike, it is an entertaining show. We'll see if the same can be said for today. And we'll start by Logan Congrove. Unfortunately, he has to ask a question. He says, good morning, gentlemen. It's now the afternoon, Logan. Come on, get it together. (laughs) He says, I have a question for Casey in honor of his first sports power talk. Casey, as an avid hockey fan, what would you say the sport of hockey could do to draw in more fans slash viewers? I personally am not a hockey viewer. Convince me logically why I should be. Well, they're already doing this with... This going to ESPN and TNT, it's the just the fast ice and the springboards. It's like a, it's a combination of figure skating mixed with UFC, WWE, and boxing. You should definitely go there because fights are actually legal in hockey. So, and it's obviously a great sport to understand, like. The first time I watched hockey, you could definitely understand the rules very, very quickly. Yeah, fair enough. Marcus, are you a hockey fan? I'm starting to become. I mean, okay. I, I like the jerseys, though. Are you an Avalanche fan, I'm assuming? Uh, not really. Um, I remember having this uh, Anaheim Ducks jersey a while ago. It was a starter brand, too. It was an old-school 90s, 90s authentic jersey. It was cool. I just kind of coined you as an Az fan because they won the Stanley <laughs> Cup last year. Yeah, you just saw him as a bandwagon. I mean, uh, you're new here, Casey, but... Yeah, I know. Marcus, but... yeah, yeah, he's a bandwagon. <laughs> Very much so. Leaving widows all around in every single sports league. Next up on Hot Mike, though, we have Aaliyah Craig as she asks, how many games will the Cavs win this season? Will Mitchell be the MVP of the team or someone else? Um... I'll say, uh, of course, it's going to be Mitchell, the MVP of the team. I mean, he's going to be the reason why we jumpstart as a playoff team for the first time in, like, since LeBron's last year here. I mean, and also, I'm saying, like, 47 wins, 47-35. All right. Not terrible, Casey. It's not too bad. I could definitely see us improving from our record last year of 44-38. and I can... Probably see us winning like 49, 50 games, finishing like around fourth, fifth, or sixth in the Eastern Conference. But I could definitely see us moving out of the playing tournament. That's for sure. I don't know why they added that. Yeah, I think it's going to be a disappointing season if we only make the play-in. I'm actually a fan of the play-in tournament, but I think the or the Cavaliers, not the Guardians, the Cavaliers are too good of a team to be in a play in this season. And I agree that Donovan Mitchell will be the MVP of this team. I think 50 wins is a pretty good milestone to get to for the Cavs this year. And it's not a question on Hot Mike, but it's a question I'll pose to you guys because it's been a question that's been in my head so far in these first two games of the season. Mitchell has been looking outstanding. Obviously, it doesn't help that Darius Garland is hurt right now. 
But do you guys think that Darius Garland will get to another All-Star game this year? Is he going to be voted an All-Star when maybe some of the spotlight on this Cavs team isn't necessarily around him this year? It's more so around Donovan Mitchell. What do you guys think? I can see Darius Garland fighting back. I mean, it's Darius Garland. He had a fantastic season last year, and he's definitely going to get stronger after that eye injury. So I could see Darius Garland producing the same amount of points and the same performances. Okay. Oh, yeah, of course. Even though he's going to be lower down to a lower role this year, I mean, even though he's going to be overshadowed and be a sidekick to Donovan Mitchell, I mean, he's still got what it takes to be an RSR. He's still going to get to another RSR. He's basically uh, just like what Chris Middleton is to Giannis and what Clay Thompson is to Stephen Curry. You know, he's still going to do his thing. He's still going to perform at a high level. So, yeah, absolutely. He's going to get to another, he could get to another RSR. All right. I hope you guys are right. It was just a question that I was pondering in my head saying, is Darius Garland really going to be an all-star this year when the stats might not look as good as last year because so much of the focus of our offense is going to be on Donovan Mitchell. Next up for Hot Mike, though, we go to Jake Murrin, a goat, as he asks, thoughts on the Oregon jerseys on Saturday? Personally, they were an eyesore for me. He also gives a picture if... Uh, we didn't know what we, he was talking about. I saw the jerseys yesterday on the field, but what did you guys think? Well, let me you go ahead and go. I'm I mean, myself. personally, I thought. I mean, it was just plain, plain Jane. You know, no special about them. You know, it's just no special. I mean, they have they are known for having the best uniforms in all the college football for such a long time. You know, just a color common, just a color combination uh, options is. This one was not the best one yet they ever had. This was the worst by far. They had the pink in there. I feel like that was probably because of Breast Cancer Awareness Month and all that. I personally didn't hate them. I mean, it was a nice pop color, but I, I, I can see how it could be an eyesore for some people. Casey, what did you think? Yeah, I didn't really hate. I don't really hate the Ducks jerseys, but here's the thing. They produce more jerseys than the NBA as a whole. Like, the Ducks can't settle on one jersey for one for one whole season. But for this one, it doesn't look too bad. The black and the pink, it really does blend well. I can see why they did the pink for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. But the pink really does pop out, so I kind of like it a little bit. Yeah, I don't think it was bad, and I agree with you. I think Oregon, they're notorious for their uniforms, but... They should just pick the best two, three that are the best and wear those for a season. Yes. I think that's a great point as well. Oh, yeah, you can agree. It's definitely better than what Kansas State was wearing. I mean, to this. Yeah, you want to talk about that? I, I, <laughs> thought, I thought powder blue looked good, would look good on anybody, but Kansas State, they just it ruined that. It was terrible. Those uniforms were terrible. I mean, Kent State's known for having bad uniforms. You should have seen them in the Idaho Potato Bowl <laughs> in the last season with when they faced Wyoming. It was yellow and brown going together on a blue football field. Oh, it was just not a pleasant thing to look at. Yeah, Kent State just constantly taking L's. Unfortunately, they took a W yesterday against our Zips. But Jake Murnigoat's next question is, why would anyone go to Lent State? Put a little L in there for the K. Why would anyone go to Kent State, guys? I mean, to be fair, Kent State does have a beautiful campus over there it's hidden in the woods okay come on now no more no more 
We don't gotta. We don't have Just to applaud Kent State for anything. Hey. Our campus is better. Look outside. It's a beautiful day. We got Jay hey, <laughs> Street over there, which definitely brightens down the beautifulness a little bit. But um, so across the campus, you got Barrios, Buffalo Wild Wings. And also, uh, Isamia Cookies. You got a whole bunch of restaurants you go to, especially this great bookstore, pretty much. And also, it's a fa- it's a fashion school. It's done by A1 Chicks over there. I got to tell you, <laughs> A1 Chicks over there. I got to tell you, it's a fashion school. It's like, this is not like... These are not like uh, pretty girls, beautiful women I'm talking about. These are like the type of woman you'll see on Project One Way someday. Like, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my Guys, goodness. I don't even know how to respond. Uh, like, what do I say? I mean, no. This question was for us to troll Kent, not to applaud them. What are you guys doing? I don't know. Listen, oh, how can you troll Kent when Akron knows how to troll themselves? Like, it's impossible to troll him now. I don't know. Jake Murnigoat's last question is, what team are you guys rooting for to win the World Series? Honestly, I'm rooting for the Astros just because I don't like any other teams. Quickly, guys, who are you rooting for? I'm rooting for the Phillies, but I still think the Astros are going to win. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Yeah, I'm rooting for the Phillies just for Bryce Harper. Yep, I agree. Jake Murnigoat also says go Ravens. That's not a question. And uh, they're the Rappers. So, no, do not go Ravens at all. Yeah, Last that- question here from Kelly Craig. She asks, how many rushing yards will Nick Chubb finish the season with? Ooh. Uh, I'll say about 1,600. 1,600. Okay. I'd say about... Yeah, I'd say about 1,400 and 1,500. I think Nick Chubb's going to have a fantastic year. It's just a shame that your defense can't do anything of note. Yeah, it really is. It really <laughs> is. There's one more question here from Mick Slass, but that question will be applied next segment when we talk about the Christian McCaffrey trade. We talk about all things NFL. Hopefully you all enjoyed Hot Mike. Every single time Marcus is on, what can I say? It's a pretty entertaining Hot Mike segment. When we return, don't miss it. We'll lead you right into kickoff for week seven of the NFL. We'll be right back with more Sports Power Talk. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the best sports talk show there is, was, and ever will be. This is Sports Power Talk live from the University of Akron. My name is Jake Murrin, and I'm the host of the show today. And I am joined by two analysts. First, making his first appearance on SBT, it is Casey Rush. Hi. I finally get to talk about football. Let's go. Yes, it is the football segment here on SBT. And secondly, Marcus Anderson. Any given Sunday. Any given Sunday, man. All right, let's talk about the NFL. We'll do pickums and talk about the Browns-Ravens matchup here in a matter of moments. But breaking news this week out of the NFL, another huge trade going down for Christian McCaffrey as he was traded to the 49ers. The Panthers received a 2023 second, third, and fourth round picks plus a fifth round pick in 2024 for Christian McCaffrey, what do you guys think of the trade? Winners, losers, give me your thoughts. Well, first off, you could totally see that Carolina is blowing it up. 
They're getting rid of all their talent. Unfortunately for you, Jake, I don't know why you picked a Panthers fandom to begin with. But it's not really a Panthers fandom. It's more of a Baker Mayfield fandom. But that's not really going well either. So I'm just living over here in a a pit of sorrow, some pain, with every sport going on right now. Yeah, my thing is, you don't know which Christian McCaffrey you're going to get. Are you going to get the... One at the start of his career where he was absolutely fantastic? Or are you going to get the last couple years where he was made of glass and injured? So I can see this going two ways, but I really think Christian McCaffrey would be a great fit for this high-flying San Francisco offense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I see the winners of this trade is the 49ers. I mean, this is a Shanahan system. This is a system friendly for any running back to thrive in, uh, especially a guy like Christian McCaffrey. Just imagine. Shanahan already imagined the ways he could use this guy. And the Panthers, it seemed like they already going to take this season, you know. They already traded away Robbie Anderson. They traded away their best back, their franchise back, McCaffrey. And it looks like due to... According to reports, um, DJ Moore might be on his way out as well as expected. They also had a trade for Brian Burns as well. They turned it down. It seemed like they got a couple draft picks, but yeah. Yeah, I've seen some rumors that DJ Moore might be going as well. Hopefully the Browns are making calls. I think that makes perfect sense. But sticking with the Christian McCaffrey trade, my winner, of course, is Christian McCaffrey and the 49ers in the short term. I agree with you, Marcus, that Kyle Shanahan will make this offense look very good. Also a winner, I have the Panthers in the long term because they made what they're going to do and their strategy clear with this trade. They're mm-hmm. building for long-term success, and of course that means a tanking season this year for the Panthers. But they did get a pretty good haul for a running back that has kind of been injury-prone recently. So yeah. a loser that I have is just the risk factor for the 49ers, knowing that Christian McCaffrey could go down and be out for many weeks. But then again, that's something that could be said for every single NFL player. Anybody could go down any given play, any given week of the season. And then my other loser of this trade is unfortunately Baker Mayfield's career. Yeah. Because I don't see a way that Baker Mayfield can dig himself out of the hole that he has put himself in. And it's just such a terrible way to start an NFL career. You go to the Cleveland Browns, who were 1-31 in in two seasons. You build them back up. You get traded to the Panthers, and now the Panthers are doing what they're doing. To me, it sounds like Baker Mayfield's career is very, very short, and it's not going to last very much longer, at least on the Panthers anyway, which makes my Carolina Panthers Baker Mayfield jersey look like not such a great uh, acquisition on my end. Yeah, you better hope that you can trade that jersey very, very soon. Yeah, because I just it's don't tough. see the I just don't see the Panthers winning another game this year. I yeah. really don't. It, it's tough. The Panthers are blowing it up, but Christian McCaffrey and the 49ers, What do you guys think that means? I mean, everybody's saying 49ers Bills Super Bowl matchup confirmed. Is that it? Is that indeed going to be a Super Bowl matchup? Ooh, I mean, on paper it might, but I just don't. But the NFC is just way too top heavy. Like, you got teams like Philadelphia and Minnesota making a case for themselves. I really see the matchup being Bills and Eagles, actually, because the Eagles have just been too dominant all season. I could see that. It's, with this McCaffrey trade, it's going to make them res- uh, resemble their 2019 Super Bowl team. You know, this is uh, 
they got a super caliber defense, and they're gonna once again have a super caliber rushing attack. It's just the only thing that's gonna hold him back is Jamie Garoppolo, the quarterback position. It's just I cannot stand Jamie Garoppolo. He can't even game manage a game barely, but it's just that, yeah. yeah, I can see that though. I agree with you. I think the NFC is wide open right now, but for the AFC, the Bills certainly do look like look like the team to beat. Let's quickly recap Thursday night football as the Cardinals beat the Saints 42 to 34. The Cardinals defense had back-to-back pick sixes off of Andy Dalton and DeAndre Hopkins made his return with 10 catches and 103 yards. So guys, are the Cardinals indeed back? I do not think so. Because if it wasn't for those three interceptions thrown by the Saints, the Cardinals would not have won it. Because you won 42-34, but you really needed those two pick sixes in order to win. And it doesn't help that with your season coming up, your schedule with Minnesota, Seattle, you've yet to play San Francisco, the Chargers, the Patriots, and even the Falcons are a pretty tough opponent. You better hope DeAndre Hopkins can bail you out. Otherwise... You're uh, you're just gonna miss the playoffs again. It's gonna be a long season in the desert. I mean, they could be back. I'm not certain about their defense, even though they do got some playmakers. Uh, but I could be certain about their offense. I mean, Robbie Anderson just had his first action. It was just like seven and five plays he got in, and also DeAndre Hopkins come back. That offense could get back on the road, and they have full time to know the playbook and everything. Get back together. Also, Hollywood Brown. I'm not sure how long he's gonna be out with injury, but I say I'm certain the offense will be back, but the whole team all together i'm not sure because it's a crowded nfc west pretty much yeah absolutely for me you know hopkins certainly helps but i don't put any faith in arizona with the kyler murray and cliff kingsbury drama they had a little going there in the second quarter telling or kyler murray told cliff to calm down it's not really how that conversation should go it should go the other way around coach to player i really have never trusted that coach and quarterback duo They've never really been consistent either. So I'm not convinced by the Cardinals quite yet, but they did have an impressive showing on Thursday night. Let's get to our Cleveland Browns, though, and let's unfortunately recap last week's game against the Patriots where we lost 38-15 to in a game where our defense once again did not look good and Jacoby Brissett had the worst outing yet in a Browns uniform. And the sentiment after this game was... All hope is gone for this season. The season's over. We're done. We got crushed by the Patriots. There's nothing more to it. What do you guys think? Is all hope lost for this season for the Browns? Listen, Jake, as your friend and co-worker, I'm absolutely, I feel absolutely sorry for you that this is happening with your Browns and Panthers. But as a fan of a rival, I am absolutely overjoyed to hear that what is happening with the Browns. But this, I watched the Browns. I watched the Browns because, once again, you hijacked my TV so I could watch Steelers. So the Browns' performance was just inexcusable. You have to take points when you're necess- when it's absolutely necessary, especially when you're down in the red zone or you're on a fourth and one in field goal range. Just take the points. I know Cade York hasn't been, he hasn't been consistent, but come on. Just take the points when you can get them. And those four turnovers and including two fumbles and two interceptions those are not those don't help you out either the 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 Browns absolutely lost that game 100% 
I mean, uh, difference defense corner, still the same old defense, still give up big plays. I mean, it seemed like these was easy touchdowns, you know, especially letting uh, a third stringer rookie of out of Western Kentucky, Bailey Zappi, just shredded this defense and also the offense. It's still some offensive roles. I don't know why they didn't run that single game. It's just I didn't think they gave Nick Chubb like more than twelve carries that game. You know, it's just including Kareem Hunt. It's just. Glad to see Miles Garrett get the all-time franchise sack sack record, but just overall bad performance for the Browns. Yeah, that might be the only positive that came out of that game for the Browns. But let's talk about today's matchup against the Ravens. Wyatt Teller and Denzel Ward are out for the Browns, and J.K. Dobbins will be out and miss some extended time for the Ravens. But let's talk about the keys to the game for a Browns win. Casey, I'll go to you first. Keys for a Browns win. First off, Take care of the ball. You cannot be baking apple turnovers nearly every other drive. You got to protect the ball. You got to be aware of your surroundings. You got you just got to protect the ball more. And thing is constant pressure. Lamar Jackson knows what he's doing and he's been Lamar Jackson just knows what he's doing and he's mobile and, and Mark Andrews I heard is questionable, but you need but you need to give pressure to Lamar Jackson, make him work for each yard. And also you got to convert and you got to connect your passes. It's just you got to play better offensively and you got to make sure the make sure the ball lands in your hands and you hold on to it. It's just you just need to make less mistakes than the Ravens and you win the game. Well, first of all, just keep the ball on the, gr- on the ground, pound the rock and on the uncharacteristically bad defense of the Ravens. It's something that's unheard of before for any NFL fan, a bad Ravens defense. And also, I keep it conservative, uh, not do too much, keep it simple for Jacoby Brissett. I think that's what you've been doing wrong. I think that's what the head coach has been doing wrong, is trying to keep it simple, not keeping it simple for Brissett. And also, I mean, this is a difficult task for any NFL defense. I mean, trying to contain Lamar Jackson, I mean, Action Jackson, it's just has a hard task for any defense to handle. Yeah, that's one of my keys as well, to contain Lamar Jackson. Every time we play the Ravens, one of my keys will be able to contain him in the pocket. But with this Browns defense, I feel like that's going to be a big challenge today in Baltimore. Next, I have make them break in the fourth quarter. Lamar Jackson has been the worst QB in terms of QBR in the league in the fourth quarter. And the Ravens have blown lead after lead in the fourth quarter this season. They're weak when it comes to closing out games. So it's important that regardless of the score, the Browns play hard in the final period. Then lastly, I agree with you, Marcus. Run the ball As Alex Henry said a few weeks ago, unleash the two-headed beast. Kareem Hunt's usage has been down, and there are plays where I just simply don't understand why we aren't running the ball. I'm still defending Kevin Stefanski, but we have to play to our strengths, especially in a game against a tough conference opponent. Before we get to Week 7 NFL Pick'ems, it's time for over-unders, a game that we like to play every week for a Browns game. And we'll start with Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson throws for over-under two and a half touchdowns. Uh, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be over. I'd say three touchdowns. Yeah, I'd say over as well. I'm going to go with the over as well. Next, Lamar Jackson runs for over-under 60 yards. I think this could be a 100-yard game for Lamar Jackson. I say over. 
Over as well. Yep, I'm right there with you guys as well. Over for Lamar Jackson. Next up, Mark Andrews has over under 100 receiving yards. Well, like I said, he is questionable. I heard he's questionable in that game, so I'd say a little bit under. Uh, I say, um, I say under, like about a little bit under, like ninety-seven. I say over. It is National Tight End Day, and last week the Patriots used their tight ends very well against the Browns. So I expect Mark Andrews and Lamar Jackson to have a great game for Baltimore. Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews. We really need to put some attention on them if you're the Browns defense. Next up, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt combined run for over under 150 yards. I would say I'd say over just about. Yep, over. Yeah, I have over as well. Jacoby Brissett throws over under half of an interception. He has thrown four in his last three games. I would say over, but I think just one. Yeah, I'm going to go with over as well. I say over by about like four. By four? You have four. you have him throwing four interceptions? Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is a tough Ravens secondary. I mean, with Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, probably the best secondary in all of pro football. You have him throwing over, or you have him throwing four interceptions. That is wild. Yes, yeah, so he threw three last game. Uh, what? No, how? What knows? Who well, knows? he's thrown he's thrown four in his last three games. That's the stat. But you have him yeah. throwing four today in one game against the Ravens. That's that. That's, that's insane. It's a pretty bold prediction. We'll see if it comes true today for the Browns. But let's head to our Week Seven NFL pickums. We're ten minutes away from kickoff, and let's predict every single matchup to round out today's show. We'll start with the 1 o'clock slate of games as the Buccaneers go on the road to take on the Panthers. Do I really need to say my prediction? Tampa Bay, no question. Yeah, Tampa Bay. Yeah, I expect the Buccaneers to completely destroy the Panthers. Even though Tom Brady and the Bucks have not looked good, I do expect a Tampa Bay win on the road today in Carolina. Next up, Falcons, who are miraculously 3-3, taking on the Bengals, who are also 500. It's going to be a good game, but I think Atlanta can pull this off. They just need to not blow leads, and they'll be okay. I got the Bengals. Yeah, I'm going with the Bengals as well. A little disagreement there. Casey's going with the Falcons. Next up, the 1-4 Lions coming off of a bye week, going on the road to take on the returning Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. Well, I got to have a few crazy picks, as I mentioned with Atlanta, but this is not one of them. I just have Dallas winning. I got the Cowboys. It's not even Thanksgiving yet, and they already having turkey out the Lions. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, Marcus. That's a good one. Yeah, I have the Cowboys as well. I think Dak's going to be too much. And the Lions, they did not show up against the Patriots two weeks ago. I don't expect them to show up today against Dallas. Next up, Giants, who are also miraculously 5-1. and one. They're going on the road to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are 2-4. and four. Crazy, right? I, I think the Giants can... I think the Giants are going to continue their miraculous run today. I got Giants. So this is one of my crazy picks. I'm going with Jacksonville here. They're 2-4, and four, but 
A couple weeks ago, I was talking about how the Jacksonville Jaguars are a team to be reckoned with in the AFC because they looked like a team that could compete with the best teams in the AFC. Of course, they got that win over the Chargers, and now they're 2-4, and four, not really looking that way. They are inconsistent with Doug Peterson at the helm. But I think the Jaguars can get it done at home today and upset the Giants. I'm still not convinced in the Giants, even though they're 5-1 and one record. Saquon Barkley has been looking phenomenal. He's probably going to win NFL Comeback Player of the Year, but... I'm not convinced about the Giants. I'm going with the Jaguars. Next matchup, though, the Packers, who are 3-3, three and three, going on the road to take on the 2-4 and four Carson Wentzless Commanders. Uh, I'd say Green Bay wins that one. Go, Pack, go. All right, I'm going with the Packers as well. Titans hosting the Colts as our next matchup. Uh, it's it's going to be a good AFC South matchup, but I think the Titans can still pull it off. I got Colts. Matt Ryan still got it. Going with the Colts. Okay. I'm going with the Titans. To me, this boils down to who can run the ball better. Jonathan Taylor has not proved his ability to run the ball so far this year. Derrick Henry has in some games. I'm going to go with King Henry and the Titans at home. Now we have two 4.05 o'clock games. First off, the Texans going on the road to take on the 1-4 Raiders. It's tank ball season, baby. But I do think the Raiders are going to win against the Texans. I got Raiders. I'm going to go with the Raiders as well. Another 4:05 game. The Jets, who are four and two, both New York teams playing very well, hosting or going on the road to take on the two and four Broncos. Russell Wilson is out. Brett Ripien will start for the Broncos. One team is Nathaniel Hackett. And Nathaniel Hackett is a hack, and the other is my pick, the New York Jets. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. And that's all we need. <laughs> Jets all the way, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Jets as well. Two four twenty-five games as well. We have Chiefs going on the road to take on the 49ers, who we talked about just got Christian McCaffrey in a trade with the Panthers. A very intriguing matchup for the 49ers' first game with CMC. Uh, I I still think Kansas City pulls this one out. Oh, yeah, Kansas City. I'm going with the 49ers here. Oh, You know, the Chiefs are coming off of a battle against the Bills. The 49ers, I think they're going to run some insane plays, some insane clean schemes today with Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel. It's also National Tight End Day. They got George Kittle. I know Travis Kelsey's on the other side of things, but they got George Kittle. I really expect some good things out of the 49ers offense. And you mentioned it earlier, Marcus. You said the 49ers had a Super Bowl caliber defense. I like the 49ers at home for a win against the Chiefs. Next up, we have the Seahawks going on the road to take on the Chargers. Uh, This is another surprising pick. I have Seattle pulling off the upset against the Chargers. Trusting Geno Smith. Interesting. Oh, yeah. I got Seahawks, too. I love Geno Smith once again. Man, what is going on? Once again? So you were were a Geno Smith fan. Uh, Yes, I was when he was at West Virginia. I love Geno Smith. And then you hopped off that train. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And now you're back on it. (laughs) So you have married Geno Smith, what, now twice? (laughs) One divorce in there. (laughs) I'm coming back to him. I'm coming back to him. Now you're back with him? Okay. Just wanted to make sure. I'm going with the Chargers and Justin Herbert, who's an actual good NFL quarterback. I know Geno Smith is has been playing well, but I'm not falling into it quite yet. I'm going with the Chargers here. And now, Sunday Night Football, 
Casey, it'll be your Steelers going on the road to take on the Dolphins. Here's the thing. Every time I pick my Steelers, I end up losing. And so I have to do I have to do the benefit of the doubt. I gotta pick the Dolphins, pulling out a close one against the Steelers. Two is back. Dolphins will be back on track tonight. Yeah. You could I couldn't have said it better, Marcus. I agree with Tua being back. I like the Dolphins getting back on track and getting a win against the Steelers, making the Steelers two for five or two and five which makes me very happy to start an NFL season, regardless of how my teams are performing so far. And now it's time for our two most important picks, the picks we keep track of on Twitter, at WZIP Sports. We post the graphic right at 1 o'clock every single week, so you can follow along with who's performing well, who's not performing well, and who we're picking every single week. First, Monday Night Football, as the Chicago Bears go on the road to take on the 3-3 and New England Patriots. I obviously have the Patriots winning against the Bears. Give me the pass. Bailey Zappy mania. I think Mac Jones might be playing, so we'll see. Does that change your opinion, or does that only reinforce your uh, no, Patriots I still pick? got the pass. I still okay. Got the pass. All right. I still trust Zappy over Mac Jones any day. So I'm not doing so well in our NFL pickums. I'm not doing well at all. Well, I'm not doing well either. Hardly You're doing better than doing me. Well, with how chaotic this NFL yeah, season's been, it has been chaotic. But right now, I'm thinking about making up some ground. I could see the Bears winning, so I'm going to go that way. I'm going to pick the Bears today. There was actually one other member in WCIP Sports who took the Bears. You'll see who that is at one o'clock on our Twitter page. But I'm going with the Bears. Hope they can pull off a win, and I'll make up a lot of ground in our NFL pickums. Next up, of course. Browns Ravens kicking off in just under two minutes. Uh, I just don't see the Browns win this. I think the Ravens do blow a lead, but I think they bring it back in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I got the Ravens. I don't see the Browns win another game for the rest of the year. <laughs> for the rest of the year, yeah. dude. I don't understand that. I don't understand that at all. But unfortunately, I am going to go with the Ravens as well. I think the Browns could pose a threat, especially in the fourth quarter, because the Ravens are suspect in the fourth quarter. They do blow leads, but I don't trust the Browns defense at all to get the job done. And that will do it for the October 23rd edition of Sports Power Talk. We covered Zips and college football, the MLB playoffs with the Guardians postseason run, unfortunately, coming to an end. The NBA and Cavs season beginning and all things NFL with the Browns kicking off in a matter of minutes. Any last thoughts on today's show, gentlemen? Well, Steelers got a Super Bowl. They just need to get tickets. I I just don't see us beating the Dolphins. Yeah, like I said, I mean, the Cleveland Browns football team was a person. I would say it would be like Elmer Fudd. <laughs> Elmer Fudd, maybe. <laughs> for me, I'll absolutely miss the Guardians for the next six or so months. It is exciting that the Cavs are back in season, and I believe all the hype and then some surrounding the Cleveland Cavaliers. For more WZIP Sports content, follow us on Twitter at WZIP Sports. Vote in around the room, watch our sports updates, interact with Hot Mike, and so much more over there. As always, check out our podcast, SBT Rewind and SBT Overtime, on any and all podcasting platforms. A series gets renewed tomorrow on Overtime, so go check that out. 
for WZIP content in general. The entertainment show was revived last week with its first episode. Stay tuned shortly after SBT for episode two of Entertainment Rebooted. Joining me on today's show were... I'm Casey Rush. I'm Marcus Anderson. My name is Jake Murren. I won't be here next week. I'll actually be in a conference in Baltimore, so I unfortunately have to hand the hosting job to Logan Congrove. I apologize ahead of time for that. Until I speak to you all again, be kind to one another. And WZIP Sports will be back next week, same time and place, for more Sports Power Talk on 881 WZIP.